Welcome, everybody, to uh, another edition of Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Happy New Year to everybody listening right now as this is our first show of 2024. And uh, we're going to roll right into it. The biggest news, of course, in Raptor land, it came in before the New Year flip, before the calendar flip, but the trade with the New York Knicks with Precious Achua, Malachi Flynn, and OG Ananobi heading to the New York Knicks in exchange for R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and a second-round draft pick, which is coming from Detroit, and that could turn out very well to be a very high second-round pick, likely 31st, 32nd overall. So it's almost like it's a like a late first-rounder, but you don't have to lock in the guaranteed money given it being a second-round pick. So that's kind of a little coup for the Raptors getting that pick in the deal as well. That's my opinion. I'm pretty confident I can say, Jonesy, that that's your opinion as well. We've had lots to say about the trade already on the air, on our pregame shows and postgame shows and whatnot, halftime over the course of our last couple of broadcasts. So you've heard from us. Let's now dive in from a New York perspective as we bring into the conversation longtime writer from Associated Press in New York, Brian Mahoney. Brian, there's so many different angles we can hit right now. We haven't caught up with you or, or caught up with anyone in New York for quite some time. And we have to start, I guess, with the trade. We can get into some of the other stuff after the fact. But let me just kind of, you know, simply throw you a softball to start. What was your gut reaction when you first heard of the trade that went down last week between the Knicks and Raptors? Good, bad, or otherwise, from a Knicks perspective, from a Raptors perspective, what was your gut when you first heard of the deal? Uh, I guess my, my first reaction was I figured quickly was getting traded at some point this season. The Knicks opted not to extend him in the summer, and, and when that happened, you kind of figured something was going to go on this season. Uh, and then from there, my thought was basically, you know, I think this is a good trade for both sides player-wise. Uh, the Knicks really like O.J. Ananobi. Uh, the Raptors got two players who were important rotation guys for the Knicks. So, uh, you know, I think both sides should, should be happy with it from the upgrading the roster perspective. Uh, Brian, I'm diving a little deeper into it when you said they didn't re-sign quickly. What do you think the plan is uh, from a salary standpoint, from, you know, the the, the cap and the cap management and the salary slot standpoint? I mean, you got a good young player and quickly and you're, you're, I wouldn't say you're giving up on him, but you're, you're probably hoping for more. Where do you see the money being allocated this summer? Well, they obviously have made it a point for a couple of years to to make sure their options are open. With draft picks, I think they have maybe five first-rounders. Uh, you know, with money, they, they feel like they're building something where now a free agent-type guy or someone who's looking to get traded would consider the Knicks because they've had a couple of good years now where as they went 15 years being terrible and nobody wants to come here. So, they, you know, they just don't want to commit a lot of money right now when they don't have to. And obviously they didn't have to extend quickly over the summer. They could have waited till this summer and, and signed him. So, um, you know, at this, it, it made sense not to do it, but obviously it made you wonder if they weren't going to do it at all then. So, Brian, let's look at this maybe from a, a, a Knicks perspective for a second. We'll, we'll ask you more about quickly and RJ and what Toronto is perhaps getting back. But for the Knicks, getting a player that they've coveted for a while, a lot of teams have coveted in OG Ananobi. Um, the gamble, obviously, and this is the flip side. Like Jonesy and I were talking just a few days ago, Brian, about the fact that even if you didn't necessarily want to make a move, if you're the Raptors, that is, could you risk again going down the path of maybe, and I underscore maybe, not getting something back in return for a guy who could walk, i.e. what happened last year with Fred Van Vliet. But, Brian, I don't know if you've thought about it or looked into it. It's, it's tough for us, even as broadcasters of the team, to say, man, you look back to not just Fred, but from the championship team, some guys that you wanted, some guys maybe that you didn't, but Serge Ibaka, walk for nothing. Marc Gasol, nothing. Danny Green, nothing. Kawhi Leonard, nothing. And even in franchise history, granted under a different CBA, Tracy McGrady back in the day, nothing. Chris Bosh, nothing. We're talking about some of the top five, top 10, 15 Raptors of all time and nothing in return for these guys leaving. So the fact that you got something for OG, certainly a good thing, if you weren't positive he'd resign or you were going to resign him. But from a Knicks perspective, the gamble of giving up prospects and pieces for a guy that ultimately could maybe walk as well, is it worth the gamble? Yeah, you know, it's it's a lot for both sides there. Everything you just kind of hit on. You know, the Raptors certainly have been scarred 
you know, as much as any team by saying, okay, let's wait it out and see, and then the guy leaves. So you don't ever want to be in that situation. Um, and you could maybe say watching this team now over the first 20-something games, maybe, you know, it's not going to work. So go ahead and trade them. And they did get something back of value uh, for sure. And, you know, from the Knicks standpoint, they've had long enough now to probably realize, look, we were not going to be, uh, you know, as good as some of the teams ahead of us in the East. And let's get a shot and get a guy in here we think we might go after in the summer anyway. Uh, I'm sure they didn't want to give up as much as they did talent-wise. But at the same time, sometimes if you really want a guy and other teams wanted him too, you have to kind of jump in and, and maybe give more than you wanted to. Brian, the game has changed. And you are of probably the same vintage as, as we are in terms of your – your, the way you've covered the game and what you've seen and what you've, you've, you know, you've gleaned from watching it. Um, and I think of Tibbs and what made him successful and the style and the coaching tree he's from with Riley and Van Gundy and, you know, when he, when he was on the bench with Doc. And that's a lot of kind of, uh, here's my philosophy, I know this works kind of attitude. And you get a guy like OG now in New York who kind of fits the bill for Tibbs is I wouldn't say he's resistant, but are, are they, are management kind of listening to him and saying, Hey man, I need these groceries to make this kind of meal. I mean, that's a good move for them. He's a great player. OG that fits their style, but how much do you think he has influence over? I mean, I could see him looking at quickly saying, Oh, one of these young guys likes to run up and down not play defense and shoot the three. Uh, you know, he was having trouble getting minutes, albeit Brunson was there. But what do you think Tibbs' influence is on all this? Well, you know, it's a great point because it's funny. I think he really grew to like quickly. And when quickly got here, I thought he never would. I thought this guy is, a, you know, sort of a just shoot it, not much anything else. And uh, yep. he's never going to work for Tom Thibodeau. But uh, he grew into a much better player than that. And, uh you know, I do think Tom and, and uh, Leon Rose, the president, work very closely together. They've known each other for a long time. And, you know, to your point, there's a reputation Tom Thibodeau's teams have of being great defensive teams, and this Knicks team isn't. <laughs> They're a good offensive team. Uh, but they got torched by Milwaukee. The Clippers put up 140-something against them. They need more defense. And OG Ananobi, they're pretty sure, can provide that, and rightfully so. And we've seen the first two games, uh, the Knicks' defensive numbers have been way, way better than they were before. So, Brian, he, he certainly brings the defense. He certainly brings that corner three. One of the knocks, and this is not, this is not knocking a guy while he's, while he's gone or now that he's gone. It's the handle, and that was something that he struggled with from time to time in terms of you know, creating his own shot or creating even for others. Um, but he's so fantastic in so many other ways. Does he, to, in your estimation, just kind of fit in seamlessly with what the Knicks already have and then to the point you just made, what they truly needed, and this was the perfect guy for them? Yeah, I mean, for sure, they would love to have, you know, a better handle on him than, you know, something like Quickly can provide. Uh, you know, but look, if all they're getting is the defense and the shooting and, you know, the smart play and, uh, you know, movement uh, around on offense, uh, they'll take that, I think. Um, you know, for sure, we've seen they played very well these first two games. We've seen the way he fit without even practicing when he got here. So, um, you know, I think they see that he will get better at some of those things. And, uh, you know, again, it's it's one of those, I don't think this was an obvious trade for either side. It wasn't like, you know, it's a steal of a trade where you gave up nothing and got back an all-star player. But both sides can see where these guys could really work for us once we get them in here. Brian, what is, how does the, uh, the, uh, the CAA angle play into all of this with OG being <laughs> one of their clients now and uh, – I, look, the tea leaves tell me that he's going to be re-signed in New York and he's probably going to get a, um, a a tidy sum of money for it. Yeah, I mean, let's put it this way. None of us are expecting OG Ananobi's not going to be here after this season. Uh, you know, you would think, obviously, with the relationships with the, uh, organ you know, the agency and the organization that, uh, look, they have it figured out probably. And, uh, you know, we're not going to be sitting there July 1st wondering, uh, you know, where his meetings are. We, we think it's going to be New York. 
Um, all right, to that point, Brian, I, I, I want to ask you this, and, and I, I preface this by saying I apologize. It's going to be a very long-winded question here. I don't know how you feel about Stephen A. Smith. We could all probably have our own little opinions on the guy, good, bad, or otherwise. But he had, I, I suppose, an entertaining rant uh, on, on Wednesday about the lack of star power, even after this trade in New York, and the fact that he might even be a bigger star in New York than any New York Nick, for what that's worth. Um, having said that, the underlying point to, I suppose, Stephen A. Smith's rant about the lack of quote-unquote star. There is all-star talent, no doubt, but superstar talent that the Knicks have not necessarily been yet able to lure for quite some time. How important is that or not to the city, to the franchise, to have a, quote, superstar? Or can you simply build a team and create a good team, a a championship-contending team, that the fans will rally behind. And, and my su- sort of sub-question to this, Brian, is, and call this the Canadian inferiority complex, whatever you may be, in <laughs> less than a week, in less than a week in being with the Knicks, I've seen OG Ananobi on the front page, granted, albeit social media, but on the front page of the ESPN Instagram handle and on the NBA handle, it's like, OG Ananobi and the Knicks, OG Ananobi did this tonight. He wasn't getting this kind of love in Toronto at any point in the last year, I, let alone the last I, I five years. <laughs> what, did they just yeah. discover him or something? Like the guy's been in the league for, like, what's going on here? No, I mean, there is, look, the Knicks need a superstar. And I, I will say that to, to have a chance to win. And I understand what Stephen Smith was saying. I, I saw that. And, and, yes, it's, you know, the, the basketball people are excited about OG and OB. The, the fans, maybe, not necessarily because they keep thinking, okay, we're getting Giannis or Joel Embiid or we thought we were getting LeBron three times by now, and it hasn't happened. But, but I will say this. Um, the, the fans want to – look, the, the Knicks' 90s teams were beloved in New York, and they had one superstar, Patrick Ewing. The rest were just hardworking guys who maximized – everything they you know gave on the floor, and that's what this Knicks team kind of is, and Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. And, and look, O.J. Anadolu is going to be one of those guys. So the fans are absolutely going to love him, and they'll just have to be a little more patient until that A-list guy gets here. Uh, Brian, what we've seen him in a limited sample size in Toronto, two games, but he's 2-0. and um, You know, a lot of people have an idea about R.J. Barrett, but I want to get to quickly first. Um uh, it, did you see any point where he could have played together, coexisted with with uh, Jalen Brunson on the floor and been, you know, or does Tibbs not do that and he's the backup and he was bumping his head against the ceiling and they had to trade him if he was going to get minutes elsewhere and it was, like you said, a, a good deal for both teams. What have you seen in, in him and his growth and um, what might surprise us in Toronto that we don't know about him? Yeah, you know, I think the size with, with the Brunson and quickly backcourt would have been hard to do for, you know, in the course of an entire game. Uh, you know, I think you could do it in spurts and it would be fine. But, uh, you know, you're, that's, a, that's a small backcourt. And, you know, I think he was just so good in the bench role, it made it difficult to, to put him together. Uh, you know, that, that really weakened the bench when he was not there, uh, when, when he had to start, when Brunson was out or, or other situations. So, uh, but, but look, he's a guy who can play both guard positions. Uh, he's a guy who's a, you know, a pretty smart player, uh, I think. Uh, you know, you watch it again. When he came into the NBA, I thought, okay, he's going to be one of those guys who'll shoot you into some games, who'll shoot you out of some games, but, but that's really about it. But he impacts the game, uh, you know, quite a few ways. And I think sometimes, you know, starting or not, they were a better team when he was on the floor. So, uh, you know, I think getting more minutes now, uh, you know, with the kind of roster the Raptors have, uh, I think it could be a very nice fit there. And, and Brian, to Jonesy's point then, what about RJ? A guy that's put up decent numbers, but some have questioned at times, I suppose, right, wrong, or otherwise, the ultimate impact of the game. Do you look at this as a fresh start for him or simply just an extension of the way things have gone for him? Like, how, how do you view RJ, I guess, you know, his time as a Nick versus what now presents him, uh, you know, is in front of him here, hit this opportunity with the Raptors? Yeah, like the, the, the fourth important thing is, our, you know, RJ's a, you know, been winning everywhere he's gone. Uh, you know, the Knicks have made the playoffs, what, in two to three years he was here after not making it for seven years prior or whatever it is. So, uh, you know, we saw what he did with Team Canada. Um, you know, this is a guy who you want to have on your roster. He just knows how to win games. And, uh, you know, I think now he'll get to be a little more creative, get to handle the ball more maybe. Uh, you know, sometimes 
in New York, he found himself kind of parked out in the corner a little bit. You know, Julius Randle that needed space to in the middle. Um, you know, now maybe RJ can play more of an all-around game, uh, not just you know shoot a lot of threes. Uh, you know, I think he can you know again like quickly impact the game a lot of different ways, and and I think he will up there. Brian, are you surprised that this trade actually went down with the? Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's. It, I was going to say the quarrel, but now that they're trading and they're still in court and there's still litigation going, maybe it's a lover's quarrel. Who knows between uh, <laughs> Toronto and New York? Are you, are you, are you kind of surprised that this went down? That you deal with a team that you're in court with, and and you're and never mind that you have to play them four times a year. And Eric, Eric has a great line. He says, just when you're trading a guy. Make sure he doesn't come back to bite you. And, and you know Milwaukee's feeling that right now. They traded, they thought they traded Drew Holiday to the West, and now he's, he's sitting in a car in Boston looking at them in the stoplight saying, hey, you guys ready to race. I mean, it, it's not that way. I mean, maybe the Raptors figure it won't be that way with Ananobi. It's like you said, a good deal. But are you surprised the nature of this deal with the two teams kind of at each other from, from a different standpoint off the court? I was a little bit because, you know, when when this whole, you know, lawsuit thing happened, I figured, okay, this will last 10 days and, you know, it'll get squashed. It'll, you know, it'll, it'll go away. It hasn't. It's still out there and it's been out there for a couple months. So there's obviously tension between the organizations still at some level. Uh, so the fact that they made a deal and not just, you know, trading, you know, second round draft picks and, you know, five years down the road, they traded rotation guys, uh, important players for both teams. So, uh, yes, you wondered kind of like how, how you know how long have they been talking about basketball when they're fighting off the court? It, it did kind of catch some people, and it made some for quite a bit of humor at the same time as well. You know, it's interesting as well, Brian. Kind of piggybacking on Jonesy's point. At least at the time we're having this conversation, I mean, we're 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 very quickly approaching the halfway point of the season. It seems like this year is flying by right now. But the Knicks sitting in the play-in, the Raptors just outside of the play-in. Now, I, you know, the Knicks not that far out from a locked-in seed, again, at the time that we're having this conversation, uh, only about a game separating, I believe, the fifth from the from the eighth seed, but there's only a, a half game separating the twelfth seed from both the seventh and eighth seed, again, at this time. So it's very likely that these two teams could potentially run into each other in the play-in or in the postseason in some way, shape, or form. Having said all that, I won't ask you about Toronto, but... From a New York side of things, do you think the Knicks are done, or is there more to be tweaked or attempted before we get to the deadline? I think it depends what kind of player becomes available. Uh, I don't think they would make another move for an Anobi-type player. I think they feel like, okay, they got that in here. But now with what they have that they can trade, they're saving it for, you know, again, one, an all-star. Uh, you know, and, and if, if one of those guys becomes out there, then the Knicks will make another move. And I think they'd be very happy then with what they got uh, with two deals. But otherwise, I think right now they're kind of waiting with, you know, again, feeling like they can beat a lot of teams' best offers if they put all their cards in, but uh, only for the kind of player where it's, a, you know, absolutely no doubt you can't question whether it was the right move or not. Brian, uh, maybe a loaded question here, but, you know, we talked about uh, the Stephen A. Smith, and this is the last one for me, the, the, the whole star take. New York loves its stars. And this summer, do you see any way that they try to find or pluck a marquee name? You know, the conspiracy theory says LeBron's in his last year. The Knicks have a chance. <laughs> they draft Bronny. And now you got LeBron and his son both playing in New York. It's historical. Guy playing with his kid for the first time. It's in New York. All of that. I wouldn't rule anything like that out at all. I think a lot of teams are going to consider that. And, uh, you know, look, New Yorkers have never closed the door on the thought that they could someday get LeBron, even though, again, it's been, you know, whatever, two or three times when they thought it could happen and never did. So, uh, you know, again, they're going to be able to have, you know, a shot at something with uh, with. with cradle picks with money under their, you know, available in their salary situation. So if that's the kind of guy who's out there, they'll certainly, I would think, make a run at him. Uh, you know, a player of that level uh, is, is maybe all they need to be a, a real top-tier team. That was Brian Mahoney from Associated Press based out of New York. Appreciate his time, as always. Um, Jonesy, a couple of things we could dive into. I, I want to go back to something we talked about with Brian, but 
before we get to that, well, I mean, technically, we did talk about this with Brian as well right at the very end. The point you just brought up, like, literally seconds ago, moments ago, with LeBron James with Bronny. Now, we don't know for sure that Bronny's going to be one and done. Like, having said that, I would expect or anticipate that he might be, just because that's kind of the norm for so many guys, and I say this respectfully, but also, knowing that he went through some medical stuff, he's been given the clearance, and we all you know, keep the fingers crossed, knock on wood, pray for the fact that he lives a, a long and healthy life and career and everything else, but Jonesy, if it were me or if I was his parent, I'd be like, hey man, let's come out now and get that guaranteed money as quickly as possible just in case anything goes sideways with the health, with the career, with otherwise, let's lock it in now with the money that's out there, let's do this. That would be my opinion. Having said all of that, as I threw you this big loaded question, if you're Bronny James, LeBron James, the James family, the agents, etc., are you watching and kind of trying to pick and choose your spot in the sense that when you see how maybe the lottery plays out and where teams land, or obviously you look back at how your season went with USC and everything else, do you think you're a little more calculated with, you know what, this year doesn't necessarily make sense, but next year will. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Do you kind of try to, to, yeah. to get the tea leaves and go, well, if this team goes here and they might go in that direction, or this team might actually take Bronny with the thought of trying to lure LeBron as well. And if you're LeBron going, heck, no way do I want to go to uh, Charlotte. Uh, and I'm no offense to Charlotte. Maybe he does want to go to Charlotte. You know what I'm saying? Do you kind of try to read those tea leaves and say, like, if I were to join my son, which team might take my son and which team might I we be willing to go to you know what i'm saying yeah i i agree eric and i think there's a, a part of me that the conspiracy theorist in me says that will that will be kind of uh that will be kind of hashed out uh in the back room so to speak with lebron and his people and as you said they'll be the ones reading the tea leaves and and you know probably looking at what 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 happens there i mean lebron's only got one more year on his deal in la right Mm-hmm. And then he's full free agent. So does he take another one plus? Which means he's not going anywhere unless he's traded there. And the conspiracy theory says, well, it's it's in a way where if he is traded to go with his son, uh, the money works and the team that he's going to be traded to is willing to give up some pretty good pieces to have LeBron James for I don't know, maybe a year, maybe two. I mean, he is 38 years old. That's the other thing. As much as, you know, he's still a great player. Uh, he's, he's he Comparatively speaking, he's not the same guy. He's not able to play the same amount of games. He doesn't always consistently have the impact. And, and I think you saw that uh, in the playoffs last year when they lost to Denver. Um, but, yeah, I, I you know, I... Uh, I'm getting the money. I think they bring him out, put him in, get into the league, get on that rookie contract, get the money, and then we'll start dealing with trades or whatever we have to do after. It's it's really it's all speculative. It's way down the road, but I'm I'm getting the money, and then I start talking to teams and third teams and fourth teams and four way trades and whatever to get where I want to go to be with my son. Yeah, and I just wonder if there's any team that he wouldn't consider going to or if it's going to be orchestrated to the point where, uh, I mean, the only, the, only, the only reference that really pops into my mind about somebody truly, truly forcing or orchestrating their way, um, I, I mean, I'm, going, I'm flipping sports over to like back in the day with Eric Lindros or whatever. It, not that it hasn't happened in the NBA as well. I mean, obviously with Steve oh. Francis, he didn't look thrilled about going to, to Vancouver. John or, Elway. You know, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, you know, yeah. I, I just I just wonder if it ends up being to your point if it ends up happening in the back rooms is it Bronny doesn't want to slash won't go here so don't take him or is it Bronny doesn't have a choice that's where he's going that's the team that's drafting him but knowing full well that you can't lure LeBron because no chance is LeBron going to go there we're not going to take Bronny because we only want Bronny with LeBron. Or if we're not going to get LeBron, we don't want Bronny. Or is are we going to be able to get LeBron? Or, you know what I mean? Like, or hey, might LeBron sit back and go, "Hey, man, I just want to play with my kid." So I don't care if yeah. it's for you know the worst team in the league. Heck, I'm going there. 
You know, like, yeah, like, but... like, and again, we're throwing out all these conspiracy theories. Again, this, these aren't even. Let me, let me stress this, folks. This doesn't count as fantasy trades and fantasy rumors, okay? Because these are just wild pie in the sky, like just my brain going what if. So I'm not, I'm not Norris Jonesy blowing our long, stead, true fast, steadfast. Like we don't talk fantasy trades. What if, what if it's like San Antonio? LeBron goes, yeah, you know what? Chance to play for Pop. Played for him at the Olympics. You know, I, I, I respect the hell out of him. We got a chance to team up with Wemby, young in his career. I'm playing with my kid. But I'll tell you the other one, Jonesy, that I find interesting too. And I suppose you can't necessarily look this far down the road. You got to take care of the here and now first. Bryce James ain't that far off. Right? Yeah, I know. And there's a lot of guys that believe that he might be the better of the two young better. players between yeah. Bronny and Bryce, that Bryce might be better. And if LeBron can stick around long enough, you think he doesn't want to play with both his kids? Yeah. Like together? I, Not just played for one on this team and then I'll play for the other one on that team? To have all three oh, of them together at some point? You think that's We've not in the way of real... spinning around? Oh, we've gone down a real rabbit hole here, Ian, and then I'll 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 pull you down even further. Um, LeBron James is about legacy and winning titles, right? And there's this whole discussion. I love the way uh, it was put about the goat. You can still say one is a goat over the other in terms of Michael LeBron. That doesn't mean it diminishes the other one's career. That being said, LeBron's about he's about rings, man. He he is because he's trying to add that to his legacy, and does he does he end up going somewhere where it's it's good enough where they might get a ring, and now his son gets a ring and he doesn't have to worry about that, and all of a sudden he starts his legacy with, you know, with a with a championship or near championship or is on a good team and see what's what winning's like. I mean, everybody says that LeBron. Didn't win anything before he went to Miami. He was there for four years, four times in the finals, saw the formula, and then took it back to Cleveland, got a win, took the formula to L.A., got a win, and he's, you know, he's kind of learned from those people in Miami uh, and, and, and taking it with him. So I, I think he's about legacy and he's about rings too, Ian, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens when it's all said. You know, the hey, mock draft. Can... Yeah. Some yeah, of the mock yeah. drafts I'm looking at, they don't even have Bronny in the first round, right? Yeah, I've seen the same. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I, well, let's end it with this. I don't mean to be like have the last word here. You want to jump in, you go right ahead. No, 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 but, no. But how about the fact that I don't think he'd be able to stick around long enough for this to happen, but how far down the road is it until Las Vegas has a team? Like, the NBA is going to expand at some point, Jonesy. Unless it's a relocation, and I can't think of a team right now that is that is really, like, staring down the barrel of relocation. The NBA is going to expand, I think, personally. I, I This is just my gut, folks. I haven't spoken to anybody. This is just my opinion. In the next five years, five years or less, the NBA is expanding because they are not going to give up the opportunity to strike gold with the market that has become Las Vegas. It's been a massive success with – uh, the NHL, it's been a massive success with the National Football League. Major League Baseball is going there with the Oakland A's. Like, that is the it market in North America, certainly in the in the United States right now, and the NBA is going to tap into that 1 million percent. Like, 1 billion, 1 trillion percent. And we've all heard the rumblings about LeBron and already having his fingers in the pie of the ownership that could potentially take place in Vegas. So whether he ends up playing with one or both of his kids or not, Maybe ends up being the owner and the boss, and his kids end up playing in Vegas, or at least one of them oh, does boy. at some point. Oh, and I'll tell you the other thing, reached, too. Have we reached the end of the rabbit hole yet? Well, I, I, I'm telling you. Like, I don't know if you agree, Jonesy. <laughs> I think it's coming in the next five years or less. I really do. Yes. And yeah, if yeah. you're the NBA, you can't, or I don't think you would, just do one expansion team because then you'd be at 31 and you need to balance things out. So now you're looking at who's market number two. I would guess and assume it's going to be Seattle. But, of course, there's going to be a lot of fans in Canada that are talking about Vancouver. I know some still holding on to faint hope of maybe Montreal. I personally don't think either is happening, though Vancouver could or should. But if it's not Seattle, then, I don't know, Kansas City, Louisville. Like, there's different options that are out there. But Vegas is locked in. Like, that's happening, right? Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. Uh, 
Uh, right, it's a long let's way climb up. out of the hole out before of, we bury ourselves. Yeah, it, it's a long <laughs> way up, man. Let's get out of this hole. <laughs> well, you're taller than me, so you're getting out first. Uh, all right, when we come back, we will probably talk a little bit about the, the, a little bit more about the Knicks, and we'll go around the league on a bunch of things. We can also weigh in on the Raptors as we speak with former Raptor assistant, former NBA head coach, and one of the great broadcasters out there, entertaining guy to chat with all the time as well. PJ Carlismo is up next on Smith and Jones. Welcome back to Smith and Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones, with you. Thanks again for tuning in to our first show of 2024. And if you're not already doing so, make sure you follow us. Wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe to the podcast, download, subscribe, rate, review on Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise as we uh, continue the conversation looking around the league now, but we're going to talk Knicks and Raptors and a whole lot more as well with former Raptors assistant coach, longtime NBA head coach, and broadcaster as well, PJ Carlissimo. PJ, I guess we'll start with some of the big news. Um, Boy, big trade, the Raptors and the Knicks, two teams that they're in court chasing after each other, yet they find time to make a, a, a blockbuster deal within your division. And and here's the thing that I want to, I love asking people like yourself. I talked to Cliff about this when, when Charlotte was in town. The way the NBA has devalued defense, and you heard what Steve Kerr said the other day. Yeah. It's great to have a guy like Ananobi, but at the same time, it just seems like we're trending towards, you look at the scores, PJ, the, the Mike D'Antoni line where the best defensive team is the one that has the most points at the end of the game. <laughs> well, it's true. I actually did the game I, that I believe uh, was Steve's press conference was uh, Christmas Day. Uh, Kesty and I were in uh, Denver. I'm pretty sure that was the press conference after that game when uh, Nicola shot 18 free throws in the game, something like that. I, I think he was 18 for 18 or some crazy number. Um, I, true, for sure, but I, but I still think that um, I, I don't know that that makes Indiana the, the favorite necessarily. I, I still think, and, and, you know, the old coach's cliche or broadcaster's cliche, uh, I, I shouldn't even say coaches anymore, uh, is – it's different in the playoffs, and, and it is different in the playoffs. When when you play the one team, when you have time to prepare, uh, particularly over a seven-game series, uh, you know, not counting the play-in situation, um, it, it's different. And and I think I think defense is still important. Uh, it's interesting because the two teams make this trade, as you said, when they may end up in court. I don't even know where that stands, to be honest with you. Uh, but it, it, that's not as important as the rosters. That's not as important as players. Uh, I think whatever happens with that happens. But when you have two teams in the same division willing to, and I don't think roll the dice, but I think this is close to the definition of a good trade. And, you know, there's so many trades that are just one-sided and they're trying to unload salary and stuff like that. And one team doesn't even get anybody back. Uh, Both of these teams stood up this time uh, and rolled the dice a little bit. you got some good players changing hands. You have some rosters that that have changed uh, fairly dramatically. Uh, and, and I like that. I, I, I think it's good. I think you've got two uh, front offices that were not afraid to make the deal. And I, I think both of them could make the case, hey, we came out of this really good. We like we like where we are. That's the definition of a good trade. And you don't know for a, a while whether, hey, who, who benefited more or was it just a good trade for both sides, which from the outside, that's what it looks like to me. PJ, what's it like for a coach – mid-season, whether it's 10 games in, 20, 30, 40 games in, to have to adjust to new personnel and stick with, hey, this is my system, this is my style, you have to adapt, but at the same time recognizing that maybe the new talent coming in might not fit that square peg in that round hole and you as a coach perhaps have to adjust or modify a little bit. How difficult is it? We often talk about it from a player's perspective, but what about as a coach? It's a pain in the neck, uh, and and I'm – choosing a different body part, obviously, so it looks all right. But um, it's just difficult. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's the NBA. It's totally different than when a guy – people say, well, guys get out all the time. You gotta, somebody gets hurt, he's out the rest of the year, you got to play somebody else. That's generally somebody that's been there since training camp and knows your, knows your roster, is used to playing with the other guys, knows your terminology, you know, knows your offensive and, and defensive situation. When you do a trade, particularly for a rotation player – or rotation players in this case, um, it's disruptive. There's no question about that. Uh, you do it because you, you feel it, it makes you better. 
usually, not always, usually the coach and the front office are on the same page. There's sometimes trades that go down that the coach may not feel quite as good about it as the front office uh, does. But, uh, again, it's just that's the NBA. That's the way it is. Uh, you know, you, Chuck Daly used to use uh, an expression when a coach, when I first got in the league and uh, the first couple of years in Toronto, not that we were great, but we got through the year, we made it to the playoffs. And Chuck used to say you landed the plane. The, the plane takes off in October or September, whenever the hell it is. We start training camp now. And if you can land it at the end of the year, you've, you've done a good job. Um, it's a lot easier to land that plane when you have the same roster the entire year. But that's usually when you're dealing from strength. And when you bring somebody in, um, it's a guy you don't know. You think you know him. And, and in this case, it's even in the same division. But it's never the same. You don't know a player till you coach him. Uh and and he doesn't know your team till he plays a number of games. I mean, obviously, right now, you say, wow, RJ and uh, Manuel are fitting in. This is great. And I'm sure uh, I would think Darko's very happy. I have not spoken to him, but I, I would think he's very happy with, uh, you know, the, the early results. But you're not going to know for a while. Like, uh, you know, are they going to get along? How do they complement each other? When players start to, you know, know other people's tendencies. I happened to watch the New York game the other day. I saw OG. Uh, and I, I don't know whether I read the quote. Yeah, I don't think it was the interview, but it, it, he was like saying, I don't even know what the calls are or anything. I'm just out there playing. <laughs> sometimes that, you know, sometimes that's, that's interesting and it works in the beginning, but uh, eventually you, you get, you know, you, you want to be able to call plays. You want to be able to have some confidence. Uh, you don't want to feel all of a sudden you got a limited play sheet. It's not like the, uh, NFL or college where they got those uh, laminated deals with 500 plays on them or something like that, but it's close to it. And you, you want to have your, your entire, uh, you know, play sheet in front of you and you want to be able to do the things you want to do defensively. And, you know, let's be honest. I mean, when you've had training camp and you've had a couple months of playing games and practices, and in some cases you got continuity from year to year, um, that's great when you can say, all right, let's run this play. This is perfect for this situation. Say, oh, damn, he doesn't know that play. i got to call something else. So it's, a, it's an adjustment. It's, you know, cost of doing business. It's the way it is in the NBA. Um, doesn't happen every year, but uh, it, it causes uh, some issues for sure. And the assistant coaches are watching tape or you're watching tape with the new player or players and, you know, trying to explain to them what you're going to do. Uh, it's a big adjustment. There's no question about that. It's a huge adjustment for a player also. I mean, in RJ's case, it's, it's interesting, uh, kind of coming home. That, that's different. Uh, Emmanuel, I got to think that shook him up a little bit because, I mean, he was playing not pretty good. He was playing extremely well um, for New York. And for him, this is he's not going home or, you know, he doesn't have the other uh, implications, if you will, to the trade that RJ has that I'm sure RJ welcomed for a number of reasons. But Emmanuel was like, here's a shock. I'm doing really well. I'm almost sixth man of the year, and boom, uh, I'm, I'm, so I'm somewhere else. Now, it happens to be uh, he's been in the league long enough. I'm sure he feels the way I feel about Toronto. He probably loves it. So it's great from that standpoint. But you're talking a major adjustment. And for Darko and for Tibbs, no question, a big adjustment. Hey, PJ, how much do you feel that uh, you get a bump like when the trade happens? You look at the way both teams have played, winning games. And, yeah. and, and as you said, the guys are out there running around. It's almost like pickup. You kind of figure it out on the fly. And, and I always feel that the good players will figure it out. And, and, you know, they get some direction from the coaches. But how much do you yeah. feel that you get a bump and then, and then the first time that, you know, there's a loss or something, now you really have to dig in and start making sure guys understand play calls and defensive schemes and all of that because uh, you know it can it can give your season a real lift or uh, you know if if you don't get it together right away it can put your season in the tank yeah it, well it can be disruptive you know uh particularly if you're a team I, and i'm not being smart i don't know what Masai and um Darko are looking at right now in terms of, you know, what, what, what are the goals for the rest of the year? You know, the, the one sense you just say, Hey, they're a half a game out of uh, playing right now. You know, I, if, I, if I read the standings right this morning, it's like 12 and a half and the teams that are 10th or 12 uh, behind. So, and, and everything is so tight on both sides, but especially in the East, I mean, the gap is just not that big. All of a sudden you win a bunch of games. Now going, going on a, 
a West Coast trip or however long this trip is that the Raptors are on. I know it started already, but I mean it's going. They're he- they're headed out toward me. They're headed out in the wrong direction here. Um, sometimes that's good to be on the road when you, when you make when you make a move like this. I hate to say. I mean, guys are in hotels. You got nothing else to do. Uh, you know, they don't have time to be looking at where am I going to live and the fam- I got to move the family. What you know, whatever the all the other myriad of details you have to deal with. The road, that's the good thing about the road sometimes. You have nothing to do but play basketball or have meetings or watch stuff. But still, it's a little challenging to go on the road and play those games. Um, I, I don't think you're going to know for a while, honestly. And, and I think that the bigger situation is, is going to be what, you know, from a coaching standpoint, it's the same. Coach is trying to win every game. A coach is trying to, you know, finish as high as they can and make the playoffs and do that. I mean, yes, you you need to be aware of what the – direction that the franchise is going in and you know or, or, you know it, it's not a question of tanking it's a question of maybe playing younger guys or doing this or doing that you know it, it's a little different than just trying to win every game but when it's all said and done and you throw the ball up at seven or seven thirty the coach is trying to win games and that, that's what you're going through right now and it's going to take a while to figure out hey this really helped us and it, it, by the way, is this the end? Is this the end of the moves? We've got till February eighth, so who knows? You know what the roster is going to be. Is, is this the roster for the rest of the year, or is this just the roster now for uh, a few weeks? And, and it remains to be seen what's going to happen. I don't know what the um, flavor is up there. Or what what you guys think is going to happen going forward? But um, clearly, it may still be a roster in, in flux. So, PJ, you, you, you set me up perfectly. It's like you're in my brain because my very next question to you was going to be, and I can kind of guess what the answer might be, but it's highly speculative right now. We don't know what might become of Pascal Siakam or anyone else for that matter. Are the Raptors looking to yep. trade him, keep him, sign him, whatever? But I'm going to almost re-ask the same question. You now just get adjusted to a deal. OG's out, Quickly's in, Barrett's in. You're trying to, to juke and jive and figure it out on the fly, and at least early returns are pretty good. Maybe it's a week from now. Maybe it's two weeks from now. Maybe it's a month from now. Another deal comes down. How are you now adjusting as a coach to that? Because it's like, hey, now we finally just settled our feet, and we're kind of finding exactly. some normalcy, and boom, you get whacked again. Well, again, challenging for sure. But again, you're talking, that's a major decision. That's a franchise decision. You know, that's that's not tweaking a roster or, you know, giving somebody a 10-day. 10 days start tomorrow, I think. Um, you know, that's like, let's bring a 10-day up. You also have to, you have no choice but to put a lot of importance in a few games right now. I you know, Masane already know what he's doing. You know, who knows what uh, trades have been discussed, what's going on, you know, what you can do. I don't even know half of the rules anymore. When you when you make a trade, who can, can you trade a guy right away? Do you have to keep him so long? You know, all the, the other implications that go into uh, contract talks and uh, whether you make a deal. But for sure, they're looking right now. How, you know, how how is RJ? How is Emmanuel? How good are they? Are they going to help us? Or do you like we kind of like this roster the way it is now? Uh, maybe that colors uh, you know some deals that we have on the table or some thoughts we had about moving whomever. Uh, but clearly, when it, when it's a guy like Pascal, uh, or you know, I I, I I don't know. Like you hear every once in a while, you say, "Well, there's no way they'd ever move Scotty," and who knows? Uh, I never say never in the NBA. I know that, but clearly, you're going to look at these games right now and have to make some quick decisions, even realizing, God, they don't even know what we're doing. They're just learning the system. They're just playing with these guys for the first time. Uh, what chunk of schedule is this? Like, how tough is this schedule we're going through right now? A ton of, a ton of road games, and yet we got to make a decision. Uh, we're in constant talk. Everybody in the league is in constant talks, whether they're looking to really do something or not. And as you guys know, when it heats up, when you get near the February 8th deal, all of a sudden, I mean, you're not doing your job if you're not on the phone. You might like your roster a lot, or you might say, hey, I'm always going to listen. You know, who know, who's out there that might really put us over the top or really make a difference for us going forward? So um, the decisions are enormous. Darko and, and, the, and the coaching staff and, and the players, have, you know, it's, it's a little simple. They're still trying to win games. Let's go. Let's try and get everybody as compatible as they can be, and let's, let's see what we have here. 
realizing, yeah, the whole thing might get turned upside down in a day or a week or however much time we have before February 8th. I guess we have a little more than a month um, before Feb 8th. So we'll see uh, what's going to happen. But those decisions are enormous decisions. And they, frankly, are more important than what's going on day to day right now. Like if, if nothing happens, no, then, you know, the, the thrust is let's get to the playoffs. Let's um, see if we can advance. Let's see what we have going forward and, and, and build upon this roster or, Hey, we're going in a totally different direction. We're going to have uh, a, a bunch of players we didn't have when this year started. And not just that we're missing some players, we're missing players that were like, you know, major players in the, uh, could be potentially major players in, in the roster and in the rotation. So, um, you, you're treading water, but I, I think as a coach, you have, it, it's simple. Like, let's just go. Like, you know what's going on. Uh, Darko's having conversations with you know with the front office, and he's got a feel for it. But any deal until it's done, you you just never believe it. Like, you know, I don't know how many times we've gotten to bed saying, "Oh wow, we're going to do this deal tomorrow," and then you get a call in the middle of the night or first thing tomorrow, it went away. Somebody else made a better offer. We changed our mind. Who knows what what it can be? So. Uh, that's it's life in the NBA, but I think it's compounded a little more in this case because of where Toronto is in, in, in the playoffs, you know, structure. There's so much of the, of the year still to go. It's early on. It looks like this, this trade could potentially help the roster and, and they're in the mix. They're, they're right there in the mix. So um, it, it makes, I think it makes the decisions a little bit tougher. It doesn't make, I don't think it changes dark, what Darko in the, 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 staff and the players are doing, but it certainly changes what the front office is doing. And there's a couple teams out West that I'm sure people see as, or see now, they didn't see at the beginning of the year as outliers. When I look at Minnesota and especially OKC, I mean, Shea Gilgis Alexander's just been terrific. And you know, Sam a little bit, Sam Presti a little bit. Do you, if you're, if you're playing well, do you make moves or do you kind of do it like Sacramento did last year? Let's go through the playoffs with this roster, see how far we get, see if we're exposed in any way, and then make a deal going forward. Or do you kind of jump for the ring now? What what goes into that kind of thinking? Like I said, like Minnesota and OKC in some people's eyes have come from nowhere and, and, and they're at the top of the West right now. Well, I agree with you, Jonesy. The, they have come from nowhere because they haven't done anything in the playoffs yet. I'm not taking anything away from where they are right now. I mean, if, if you got half a brain and you ask who the two best teams in the West are, it's a real simple answer. Uh, you can maybe make a case for Denver, obviously, because they're the, the champion. But what Denver has that those two don't have is a playoff pedigree. They didn't have it before last year. Yeah, they've been in the playoffs before but they never had gone as deep, and they certainly never won a championship. Now they've got arguably the best player uh, in, in the world, and, and they're a defending champ, and if they're healthy, you can say, wow, they're really tough. These other two, haven't. some of them haven't been in the playoffs in a while, it seems like ever, uh, for Minnesota. Uh, they're both very young, um, so going to the playoffs and how they do in the playoffs, as it was with Sacramento last year, is going to be really instructive. Now, the difference to me, um, and again, you've got the front office in Minnesota has had some success in other places also, but Sam has had, Sam was in San Antonio when we won championships. Sam has been in OKC when they've been to the finals, when they've had a a lot of uh, playoff success. But I don't think he'll sacrifice a nucleus that he feels is really strong uh, unless the deal is, you know, outrageous. I mean, are they equipped to do it? Yeah, with all the draft picks they've got and uh, all the young players they have. My God, they you know they could do a deal with anybody, uh, you know, and, and and confidently bring something back. But when they're playing as well as they're playing now, and they've been as patient as they've been with with the young guys and SGA where he's at right now, Chet Holmgren is commanding. Is just everybody knew he was going to be good. I don't think anybody knew he was going to be this good. They got other Jalen, the, the other young guys they have. I, I don't think either of them wants to mess with what they have going right now 
And I don't think it's the easy decision. It may be the prudent decision. Hey, let's just see, A, can we sustain this over the whole year? I mean, we just, just got into early January. We got a ton of the season still left. I hate to say it. There's always injuries. You don't know what's going to happen over, you know, the remaining months of the season. And then, B, yeah, how, how are our young guys going to react to the playoffs? Or uh, I, I don't I, – Minnesota maybe I, – I don't see Sam – varying from what he's got there i just think they're built for the long haul that team and i don't see them necessarily bringing in a vet that they know oh, we're confident this guy's going to play well in the playoffs he could be the deciding factor for them unless they legitimately feel they could win the whole thing you know like they, they'd sustain this and they're still doing this a month from now the, the problem is that you know they're going to have to make a decision shortly relative to to a trade um, it, it's. I, I would think they would have to feel very, very confident that as young as they are and inexperienced as they are in the playoffs, that a move or a veteran guy or some guy is the missing piece that's going to allow them to win a championship. And if that's the case, um, they got the wherewithal to do something for sure. I, I, I'm not expecting that, nor would I be shocked if, if all of a sudden it's, you know, you get a player, the level – of, of a, a Pascal or someone. I, I hate to be talking about guys like that, but, you know, a, a, a really good player with significant playoff experience who's gone deep in the playoffs before and say, wow, this could be the difference for our team. All of a sudden we got multiple all-stars, multiple guys who are candidates, maybe even for all NBA at the end of the year. So it's uh, interesting. It's going to be real interesting to watch what the two of them do, but I think there are similarities with those two teams, and obviously there are significant differences between the two. But the, the thing they have in common right now is they, they are, they're not doing it with mirrors. They're bludgeoning people. I mean, they, they have been very, very consistent uh, all year, and anybody that thinks they're not for real is crazy. PJ, last one for you, maybe a quick one here. You talk about multiple players, multiple All-Stars, multiple All-NBA. You could arguably maybe say that about all of the top three teams in the East. So is it a similar answer? If I ask you about the Eastern Conference, is it kind of those three, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, and nobody else really having a shot? Uh, it's hard for me to imagine anybody else beating them. Uh, it, it really is. I, I think they're clear-cut, um, the top three teams, and, and they have they have it in a lot of different ways. Philly, uh, Philly needs to show some playoff success. I hate to say that, but that second round has been a bear for them. Uh, for so you know, it was like remember when LeBron was East, nobody could get by. You couldn't get by the conference finals because you had to deal with him. Um, the second round has been a, a, a real problem for the Sixers, but I think all three of those franchises uh, that you just mentioned can feel good, can feel they have a chance, and can also feel. Guess what? We tweak it a little bit. Maybe that's what's going to get us over. I mean, Milwaukee won one. Boston was right there uh, in the finals two years ago, and Philadelphia wants to get there, so. Uh, no, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I don't think any of them can feel, oh, we're head and shoulders better than those other two guys. I'm not worried. We're going to beat them. Um, they're going to be tempted uh, because they're all close and they all know they're close. And, they, and I think they all got to feel they've got a legit chance at winning the whole thing. PJ, we appreciate it as always. Thanks for taking the time with us. Eric Jonesy, great being with you guys. I hope we can do it in person soon. Uh, get, Get Darko, get these guys, tell them aside. Got to keep winning, getting the playoffs. I need a trip up there, please. That was broadcaster, former head coach, former Raptors assistant, PJ Carlissimo. Thanks again to PJ for joining us on the show, as well as Brian Mahoney. Again, folks, I remind you, subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise download, subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks to Show Ali and producer Mark Boffel. For Paul Jones, I'm Eric Smith. Thanks for tuning in to Smith & Jones.